Hey, I'm gonna go shoot some hoops. Hey, please don't break another plant. I could no longer hear her because it was time for glory. My whole life, I've been the underdog. I'm just the walk-on that scored 63 points and is about to hit the game-winning shot for the championship. They're saying that I'm the most clutch basketball player of all time. I made my move. Sent the defender to his grave. I pull for the jumper. The shot is clean. It looks good. Hey, Hope Ames, my name is Danny Hausler. I'm the campus pastor here, and I'm so excited to be with you here. I know that you've heard it before, and I want to tell you again, we believe it's no accident that you're here. We've been praying for you, and so we're just so glad that we get to worship with you today. Uh, today truly is, every single year, one of my favorite Sundays of the year because the sun stays out a little bit longer, and I'm willing to take the uh, little bit less of sleep for that extra bit of sun at the end of the day. Um, so there's that reason. There's also the reason because now I know who the real Christians are in the church, um, and uh, if you're here for the first time, like, is he serious? Yes, I'm serious. So anyway, let's talk. I'm kidding. No, of course I'm not. That's for the people who are listening to the podcast. We're glad that you're listening to the podcast as well. And we look forward to worship with you again. But so glad, in all seriousness, to, to be with you here today. Thank you so much for wearing your masks over your mouth and noses, uh, for social distancing and doing what we can to make sure that we can continue to worship together. Uh, and uh, man, it's just good to be here today. I showed you that opening clip for a reason. Uh, it's funny. I I was looking for a clip this week, and I came across that video, and it happens to be made by a guy who I went to high school with. He was in the grade above me. I ran track with him in high school, and then all of a sudden I realized this week he's TikTok famous. Um, But he made that clip, and I think that it really resonates with a lot of us when we're trying to talk ourselves up, trying to give ourselves a little bit of confidence so that we can face whatever task is in front of us. When was the last time that you talked yourself up to get yourself that boost of confidence to face your fear? You know what I mean? Like, how do you fight your fear? That's what we're talking about today, fighting your fear. How did you get out of bed this morning when it was an hour earlier than what you've been used to over the last several months? Does anybody else have to give themselves a pep talk to get out of bed in the morning? I know there are some people who are just ready to go, right? But for me, sometimes I'm like, okay, you can do this. Just get the cover off. Take one step. Danny, you can do this. I believe in you. Why? Because you're Danny and you were strong. I mean, it's like kind of dramatic sometimes. Like sometimes it's a good thing because it gets us what we need to do to get through that fight, right? Like that, oh, okay, okay, I just got to do this. But then there are other times where we talk ourselves up and no matter what we say, we simply cannot accomplish the huge and enormous task in front of us because it's just too big. When I was in eighth grade, we were at a power life retreat. So I grew up going to Hope. Um, My dad's the pastor, in case you, you haven't put those things together yet or anything, that's all good. Um, but uh, I was on a Power Life retreat, which is our confirmation program, and we were at Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp, and it was a rainy day, kind of like today. And it was uh, in the spring, so it was a lot like today, actually. And out in the middle of the field was this slippery steel slide, and a rainy day. Now, it would have been fun enough just to slide down, right? But we really wanted to see how long we could get, or how far we could get up the slide, sprinting as fast as we could before falling off. It only took a couple of times before we realized this is not a good idea anymore. But we had this one friend, his name was Spilky. We called him Spilky. I don't think that was his real name, but we just called him Spilky, and he introduced himself as Spilky. And it's the perfect name, I think, just like the perfect attitude for what he was about to do. As we're all about to say, like, okay, we're not going to get up the slide. It's, it's just too slippery. We can't get to the top. It's fine. He goes, I'm getting to the top of that slide. Like, Spilky, stop. I'm... I'm getting to the top of that slide. Like, oh, okay, give it another shot. 
So he takes off, sprinting as fast as he can, takes the step, two steps up, he's got some traction, then sure enough, he slips, he falls, he goes off to the side, it's a little violent. He stands up, he's got mud on him, we're like, Spilky, okay, that's enough, you've proven your point, you're, you're tough. He goes, no, I can do this! You know, he's like talking, he's like, I can do, I can do this, I, I, I have a lower center of, center of gravity, he was kind of a shorter guy, he's like, so I can, I can do this, he's talking himself up, ready to go, he goes, okay, here we go, here we go. This time, I mean, he takes off faster than we've seen him go before, and he's sprinting as hard as he can, he takes one, two, three, this time instead of falling off, he face plants into the slide, and as the, by the time he stands back up and turns around, he has blood coming down his face, I'm like, Spilky, Stop. And you'd think like, oh wow, great power life program you have here. Where are the mentors? Keep in mind, this is 14 years ago, so we've really improved since then. Um, but uh, then he walks up to us and he's, he, he, I kid you not, he walks up to me, looks me dead in the eye and he says, slap me. I'm like, what? He goes, I don't want to feel my face anymore. <laughs> Spilky, no. He's trying so hard to pump himself up, but no matter what, the reality is, he could not banish the fact that he could not get up this slide. It was just too slippery. And sometimes, no matter how much we try to talk ourselves up, like we have to come to the realization that there are some things that I cannot do. And I want to tell you this morning that that is a liberating feeling and a liberating conclusion to come to. Sometimes we have to admit there are certain slopes I cannot climb on my own, especially when it's a slippery slide. Now, those are some goofy examples, but the truth is that sometimes, for some of us, we do go through seasons of life, sometimes long seasons of life, where getting out of bed in the morning really does feel like climbing a slippery slide. And we're just trying to talk ourselves up. And the day in front of us seems scary. Maybe there's something you're going through. Maybe there's something one of your loved ones is going through. Maybe there's something that you're scared about in the future. And getting up, getting out of bed, just going to that next meeting, getting to the end of the day, it's like climbing a slippery slide. How do we get through those fears? How do we get through those trials? How do we face that kind of stuff with real courage? Not counterfeit courage, the kind of courage where we just talk ourselves up only to fall off the slide, but real courage. How do we face that? There's a story in the Bible you heard at the beginning of it today. It's one of the most famous stories in the history of the world, not just in the Bible. In fact, even people who have never picked up a Bible before, many of them would be able to say David and Goliath and know what they're talking about. David and Goliath, it alludes to an underdog type story. You heard about this at the beginning of this story. You've got the Israelites and the Philistines. They're mortal enemies. And they're on opposite sides of a valley. And the Philistines, they send out their champion. Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. Goliath goes out and he stands in front of them. Now, it was kind of a common thing back then that instead of having your entire army fight against one another, it was a little bit more efficient, a little bit more economical in the way that they would fight, they would send a champion forward. The champion, their greatest warrior, their greatest fighter, and if that fighter could, great, could defeat the greatest fighter from the other side, well, then the champion from the victorious side would have won victory for his entire army. And the losing champion would have suffered defeat for the entire army of their side. See, this champion word, it's a very powerful word. 
In the Hebrew, it looks like this. It's benayim. Everybody say benayim. Benayim, what it literally means is it does mean champion, but it quite literally in Hebrew means the space between. It's the space between these opposing armies. And so the champion is the one who is in between death and life. The one who stands between. And so for the Philistines, it's Goliath. Their champion. And this champion, he is huge. He's massive. Have you heard this story before? He's the champion for a reason. Describes him. He's nine feet tall. He mocks the Israelites. Come on, send someone out to fight me. It says for 40 days and 40 nights, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Talk about fear. It tells us this. When the Israelites saw this guy standing in front of them, it says that King Saul and all the Israelites, King Saul was the king of Israel at that time on the next slide. It says that they were terrified and deeply shaken. Of course. It makes sense. I imagine Shaquille O'Neal in his prime standing outside my bedroom door saying, let's go play one-on-one. Your life depends on it. Be terrified. Don't stand a chance against that kind of threat, against that kind of enemy. Where do you see yourself in this story right now? Because a lot of times we read the story and we think, well, this is a story all about facing your fear. This is a story about going into the fight head on. This is the story about banishing your fear. This is the story that says, don't let your fear mock you. This is the story that says, stand up to your fear. This is the story that tells you to pump yourself up. Visualize success. Eliminate the imagination of defeat. Win. But fear is so real. I want to stand up here today and give you five helpful tips for how to banish fear from your life. But I can't do that because I don't know how to do it. Because fear is relevant. It's real in my life. It's real in our lives. I read this week that 19 million Americans are dealing with a specific kind of phobia. And up to 84%, according to various studies of people in our country are dealing with some sort of irrational fear. Sometimes that irrational fear will change from time to time. But 84% of people on a given day can be dealing with an irrational fear. We deal with these fears. It's real. I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'll say it again. Mental health is health. And so if your fears have gotten to a place where it's developed into a mental illness, it is very important to seek out professional help. I absolutely believe that God blesses that. And if you need help being connected with professional help on that, please seek us out at Hope. We do have strong connections there. For some people, it's not necessarily a mental illness, but for others, it's just a really powerful, strong, overwhelming fear. And we don't know how to face it. And we can tell ourselves, okay, I'm just going to banish the fear. I'm just going to talk myself up. But then when we actually go out and face it, it feels about like climbing up a slide that's wet. It's real. It doesn't matter how many times somebody tells us, no, it's fake, don't worry about it. You're great. We have a hard time believing them. I dealt with a phobia for a while. When I was 16 years old, I started dealing with a pretty severe case of germophobia. And it's still something that I've learned to live with throughout through today, but it's more manageable nowadays. When I was 16, um, because I was on the wrestling team, I contracted just a really nasty um, concoction of skin infections on my forehead. If, if you've gone to Hope Ames for a while, I'm sorry you've heard me 
tell you about skin infections on my forehead before. I know it's a really great visual. But uh, just imagine the worst thing you've ever seen in your life and combine it with me, and now you're terrified. <laughs> but I got this terrible skin infection. It really scarred me. It was very traumatic. I kid you not when I say for two straight years, I did not touch my forehead. And you think, you, you can't do that. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. I mean, Mike, I had long, shaggy hair. I could cover it. I didn't have to worry about it. It was whatever. I was done, out of sight. I was terrified of it. I would stand in front of the mirror for minutes upon minutes in the morning and say, there's nothing. Stop worrying. There's nothing. Stop worrying. Stop being afraid. Stop. Stop it. Banish the fear. Visualize success. Imagine that there is no possibility of defeat. It just didn't work for me. I bought special soaps. I got headbands to wear when I was competing in sports. None of it helped. I couldn't get over it. It was so real to me. And to other people, it seemed very irrational. But I, I couldn't face it. And so, like, in a counterfeit sort of way, I'd just tell myself, no, you're fine. You're strong. You can do this. And I just couldn't. I was trying to banish my fear, but it seems that banishing our fears is not the way to deal with it. How do you deal with your fear? Do you just try to banish it? Do you just try to send it away? You know, here's Goliath, right? And maybe we see Goliath, we think Goliath is the fear. It says that he was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his coat, uh, and his coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. Yikes! This guy's huge! Again, what do you do in the face of that kind of fear? Now, I should mention that in ancient Hebrew literature, it was very uncommon to go on and list the details of someone's appearance in such detail. But here we see it with Goliath, and later on we're going to see it with David throughout this passage. It seems like the theme is very intentional here. Goliath is the embodiment of a hero. He is dressed like a hero. He is dressed like someone who can banish out fear. He is dressed like a machine. He's covered in bronze as if he needed it. He's everything that could banish out fear. Sometimes we look at Goliath and we think, okay, well, that's the fear, right? That's our fear mocking us, is it? Or is Goliath just simply another alternative to the way that we deal with our fear? The way that Goliath deals with fear, the way that Goliath deals with the threat, is to simply banish the threat. Banish the fear. You simply cannot compete with this. Goes on to say that when David sees, uh, when Goliath sees David, he hates David. He sneers in contempt at this ruddy faced boy. Do you see the comparison there? You've got Goliath who could banish fear if he wants to simply by his appearance. Nobody can mess with Goliath. He can visualize success. I cannot tell you how many times I've read something online or in a forum or somewhere where it tells you, you know, just go ahead and banish your fear, visualize your success, and as you enjoy seeing that positive outcome, you can begin to live life with more confidence. And I'm sorry if you can recognize the sarcasm in my voice. It's just, like, I know I'm not that old yet, but I've lived long enough to know that's just not the way it works. I understand that there's a sense of adrenaline that comes out of that. 
I understand that there are like big-time athletes and artists and performers and musicians who talk about banishing their fear, and maybe sometimes it can last over a career or something like that. But it's not eternal. It gives us this rush of adrenaline. But eventually, we lose our traction on the slide. And we have to come with the reality that fear is true, that fear is real. It is And it's okay to admit that. Goliath is standing there saying, I'm just going to banish it. No way. This doesn't have anything to do with me. But here's a big problem with trying to just dealing with our fears by banishing it. It's out of touch with reality. I cannot say nothing bad will ever happen to me. Because sometimes bad things do happen. Even paranoid people actually do sometimes have someone out to get them. It just happens, right? Sometimes as Christians, we can fall into this too. I'm just going to banish my fear by following God as closely as I possibly can. And when I sin, I repent. And I do my best to live a good life. And then God won't let anything really bad happen to me, right? So I don't need to be afraid, ever. Well, take a look at the people in the Bible who followed Jesus the closest, who followed God the closest. You've got John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest person ever. He was killed. You've got Jesus who lived the perfect life. He was crucified. As it turns out, sometimes our fears come true. So how do we have courage, real courage, not counterfeit courage, but real courage? Even when it's possible for our fears to come true. I will say this, there was an old philosopher one time who said that that uh, I spent 85% of my life worrying and 85% of the, and, uh, I spent 85% of my life worrying and none of those 85% of time, I can't say that right. I spent 85% of my life worrying and none of those things actually come true, right? It's true. A lot of times they don't come true. I, I understand that. But the reality is that I know that I have people in my life where my worst fears for them have come true. And it's not because they lacked courage. It's not because they lacked faith. It's actually quite shallow, I think, to say that if we just have stronger faith, we'll never have fear. Don't get me wrong. As followers of Jesus, we put faith over fear. But we don't just simply banish our fear. Pretend like it's not there. In fact, I think that sometimes when we look at the most heroic things that have happened throughout human history, the the examples of, of courage... Uh, we don't necessarily see people who have pumped themselves up, right, with like self-assertion and self-confidence. Instead, it's actually very humble. There's a woman named Edith Evans, and this is a, a plaque that's dedicated to her at a church in New York. She was one of four first-class members on the Titanic who did not survive. One of four. And you can see on her tombstone that it says, who in the midst of life gave herself for others on the Titanic. She had a seat on a lifeboat, and she gave it to someone who was a mother. Because Edith didn't have any children, and she thought that this mother would need to be back with her kids. It wasn't self-assertion, like Goliath. Look at me. You can't fight me. Instead, it was about selflessness. Worldly, it doesn't look like a lot of success. And yet she was a champion for this woman that she saved. 
So let me ask you again, who are you in this story? I don't doubt that Edith had a lot of fear in that moment. But in order to be courageous, she did not just simply need someone to banish her fear. No, she needed more than that. She needed to know how to do the right thing even in fear. When we're looking for courage, we don't need our fears to be banished. We need to be moved to do the right thing even in fear. That's courage. Again, courage is not spelling out our fears and sending them away and visualizing success. It is the ability to continue to honor God and love people even when we're afraid. See, there's a reason why it's counterfeit courage that Goliath shows and that oftentimes we try to fill ourselves up with. If you're not actually afraid, like if you're just truly banishing the fear, if you're not actually afraid, it's not courage. Courage requires fear. It's it's not courage. It's some sort of psychological state that you tricked yourself into, but it's it's not courage. So who are you in this story? Because for me, I mean, if I have to be David, if I have to be the, you know, the, this young guy who goes out and he gets five stones and he attacks the, the giant, I don't know how long I can keep that up for. Like truly, if this story is just an example for me, go ahead and emulate that. Be that person. I need more. Honestly, realistically, who am I in this story? Remember Israel, terrified and deeply shaken? That's me. Let me be honest with you. Today, I'm dealing with fears. Are you? I'm okay with admitting it. And in just a moment, we're going to get to why, but let me just tell you, I'm dealing with fears in my life. Let me be vulnerable for a moment here. Like, I'm scared that we're never going to get through this pandemic. I'm scared that I'm not good at my job sometimes. I'm scared about giving advice. I'm scared about taking advice. I'm scared if I'm a good enough husband. I'm scared if I'm a good enough friend. I'm scared of terrible things happening to my loved ones. I'm scared of losing my loved ones. I'm scared of dying. And I can't just banish those things and pretend like they're not there. It's not courageous. It's just a psychological trick that I can set myself into, but it's not courageous. It's out of touch with reality. It's interesting. What we're going to find out in the story is that Goliath loses to David. Goliath loses to the ruddy-faced boy. Ruddy-faced, like literally, like like a, a blushing boy. Why? Because Goliath had self-asserted himself. He had filled himself with so much confidence, right? And so he was out of touch with reality. He went in there with his shields down. He obviously didn't watch Star Trek, the one Star Trek reference that I know. Shields down, he was out of touch with reality. It wasn't courageous. It was counterfeit. I want to be more honest than that. I want to be more authentic, more sincere than that. I don't want to go in with my shields down. I want to say, God, I'm terrified and I'm deeply shaken. So God, what do you do with scared people? What does God do with scared people like me? 
Again, I would stand in front of the mirror. I, I mean, I don't even, some mornings, like, I'd start to run late because I just keep standing in the mirror. You're fine. The skin thing, it's not, stop it, stop it. There's nothing to worry about. Stop it. And I still, I just couldn't touch my forehead. And if I did accidentally brush it, oh my goodness, I'd scrub my hands. If I touched anything that I thought was dirty, I'd scrub my hands. It got so bad, I lost the skin on the back of my hands. I was washing my hands so much. I didn't need someone just to inspire me, just to say, okay, go and be a David. Face your fear head on and eliminate it. Visualize success and start to enjoy your new confidence. I didn't need inspiration. I needed salvation. I needed to be saved You know, what was the turning point for me, along with some other pieces of help that I was receiving, but what was the turning point for me when I was dealing with that phobia was there was one night when my dad reached out when I was freaking out, and he touched, he physically touched my forehead. And in that moment, he's a champion for me. He's a champion because I realized, you just touched what I'm afraid to touch, You just went to the space that I don't want to go. You went to the space in between. And because you touched it, I can touch it. Because whatever happens to you is going to happen to me. That's a champion. And in the story of David and Goliath, we find what does God do for scared people? He gives them a champion. David, this young boy, he says, I'll go fight him. David's the champion that God sends. Not just an example. God doesn't send the scared Israelites on the side. No, God, God sends a champion. David's not just an example. He's a champion. He's going to the space between. He's fighting on their behalf. But what kind of a champion is David? I mean, he's pretty weak, right? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel, he's looking for the anointed one that God has chosen. And so uh, Samuel, he's, he's led to go visit Jesse, and, and Jesse uh, puts on display all of his sons before Samuel, and he says, okay, which one of, it, which, which one of these boys is it? You know, they're, they're strong, they're grown, they're ready to go, and Samuel says, it's none of them. Don't you have any other sons? And then Jesse says, well, there's the youngest, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and goats. So young, so little, so forgotten, so not thought of. This is the champion. But it's amazing. I mean, it is amazing. David doesn't save these people. He doesn't champion these people in spite of his weakness. He actually saves them because of his weakness. In fact, when he's advocating for himself to be the one who's going to fight Goliath, look at what he says here on the next slide. He says, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock that I'm guarding, this flock that I'm guarding because no one else is as unimportant as me to guard sheep and goats, I'm the unimportant one. I'm the one who goes and does that because I'm little and I'm not powerful and I'm not strong. I'm David. When a lion comes to steal the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has has defied the armies of the living God. 
He doesn't just save these people in spite of his weakness. He saves them through his weakness. Isn't that incredible? Very realistic, honest. I mean, people are very real to David. I mean, you can read throughout this entire story. People are like, David, you're, there's no, not you. I, no, you're, let's be realistic about this. And they try to cover him. They try to make him something that he's not. They put all these armors and shields on him. And he said, this, this isn't me. I'll never be Goliath. It's not about my self-assertion. It's not about my self-confidence. It's about honoring God even when I'm afraid. So while there's Goliath out there full of self-confidence, full of himself, self-asserting, banishing fear, rejecting the notion that there could possibly be any sort of defeat, goes in with his shields down. But David, the weak one, says that he takes a stone and he flung, he flung it at Goliath. It hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled face down and fell to the ground. And these scared Israelites says that they gave a great shout of triumph. Can you imagine that shout? Can you imagine that scream? It's like when my dad reached out and he touched my forehead, right? I'm like, whoa, whoa! When someone champions for you. One of my favorite basketball players of all time is one of the least talented basketball players of all time. His name's Brian Scalabrini, and he played for the Boston Celtics, and he played a tiny little bit for the Chicago Bulls, too. And in 2008, he won an NBA Finals championship with the Boston Celtics. But, but Brian Scalabrini has played as many minutes in the NBA Finals as I have. Zero. And after one of the games, a reporter asked him, I mean, kind of like in a little bit of a condescending way, like, well, isn't it kind of disappointing? Aren't you kind of embarrassed that you didn't play a single minute in this? He answers in a really funny way. He goes, are you, are you kidding me? And he goes on to say, he says, he says, you know, five years from now, I'm still a champion. Ten years from now, I'll probably tell people that I started. Twenty years from now, I'll tell my, my kids that I was the MVP. I'm a champion. Because guys like Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen won for him. But because they went to that space between, their victory was his victory. The Israelites got a champion. And we need a champion, don't we? We need someone who does not necessarily just like banish our fear. We need someone who does not just inspire us but someone who can save us. In Hebrews chapter 11, it goes through all these lists of great faith people, right? And it talks about people of old, people throughout the Old Testament, people who were around David's time, right? Before David's time, after David's time. It says, maybe if those are just your examples, fine, but do you know how you have courage? You have courage, not simply by looking at the examples of others, but by setting your eyes on Jesus, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, by fixing your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus is our champion. And while David saved Israel at the risk of his life, Jesus saves us at the cost of his life. 
David walked into the valley of the shadow of death, but Jesus walks into death itself. Jesus is the man who goes to the space between. He's our hero. He's our champion. And his victory is our victory. And so let's be very real this morning. What is your greatest nightmare? What's your biggest fear? Is it the loss of wealth, the loss of love, the loss of life? What, what, what is it? I would be lying to you if I said to you this morning that those things are invincible. Of course they're not invincible. I think just in the last year alone, I've learned plenty of times that the people that I love, the things that I have, and the promises that I want to make are not invincible. It's true. My greatest fears could happen. And yet there is something waiting for me. In Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, it's real. It's realistic. It doesn't banish fear. But instead it says, weeping may last through the night. It's real about the fear. It doesn't just puff us up with self-confidence and self-assurance. It's realistic. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Joy comes with the morning. Joy always comes. And why can joy come? Why does joy show up? Because Jesus is our champion. And certainly, yes, it is true, I could lose whatever it is that I've acquired in my life. I could lose a person who's so close to me. I could lose my own life. I could lose whatever it is I'm most terrified of losing. But the thing that I cannot lose is the promise of joy that is awaiting me. You cannot lose this. This is not an at least statement. Oftentimes, we completely lose our ability to be empathetic with someone when we say, well, at least you have this. This is not an at least statement. Because when we say at least, we're telling someone, well, I know that you have problems, but at least. And what we're saying is, you should just settle with what you have. And if you're sad, and if you're down, and if you're depressed, well, at least you have that. So just settle with it, will you? This is not an at least statement. This is an absolute, to the most, fulfilled, filled to the top life experience forever in Jesus Christ. This is not settling. This is fulfillment. This is joy. Excuse me, what is courage? Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the presence of joy. It's the presence of joy. Jesus visualized joy. He visualized that. He didn't visualize this earthly success of the throne. He visualized joy, and because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. He's our hero. He is our champion. And as we continue to fix our gaze on Jesus, our champion, we too can become more courageous. Not banishing fear, but finding the ability through Christ's salvation for us to continue to honor God and love people in the fear while we're afraid. Because we have a champion. Because we have a champion. If any of you guys are uh, Lord of the Rings fans, I think you'll appreciate this. And if not, I'll, I'll do my best to explain it. There's this character, Sam, 
Sam's kind of a supporting character to this guy named Frodo. He's always trying to help him. He's always trying to save him. But Sam kind of lives with this worry and this fear that everything's going to fall apart. One night, his fears kind of fall on him. He can't sleep. He's scared. And he looks out at the night sky and he sees stars. And something comforts his soul. It comforts his heart. He realized that in the grand scheme of everything, this dark shadow that's chasing them will not last. And I'm beginning to paraphrase here, but the God of the stars, the stars will outlast the shadow, but the God of the stars will even outlast the stars. And we can rest in that. We can find our joy in that. I mean, that's just a beautiful illustration. That's just a beautiful analogy. But you actually get that with Christ, your champion. And the tr- like, we might lose a lot of things in our life. Like, we have to admit that sometimes. But you will never lose your joy. You will never lose your Jesus. You will never lose your champion. You will never lose your hero. Because Jesus went to the space between, the space we didn't want to go. He went into cosmic alienation utter loneliness, total rejection. But he showed, he showed that his courage would outlast and defeat even, even that fear, even that place. And his victory is our victory because he's our champion. Fix your eyes on Jesus and then we can become courageous not because the fears have just been banished, but because someone loves us. We can continue to honor God in fear, not because the absence of fear, but because of the presence of the joy of our champion's victory. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.